0: Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath Chapters 31 and 32 The Sad Story of Amelia Driscoll And the False Flattery of Tipitarius Also, Canto 18 of Dante's Inferno Malabulge Ring 1 The Panderers and the Seducers and Ring 2 The False Flatterers This week's episode contains discussions of sexual violence. It's important to know there are people and resources available to help. No one should ever suffer in silence. No one should ever be ignored. If you or anyone you know are in need of help, please contact RAIN. That's R A I N N. They have a lot of great resources, including a 24 hour helpline. That's 800 656 HOPE. 800 656 HOPE. Hope Is 4673. This podcast is not associated with rain, but they are a wonderful resource dedicated to making the world a better place. This week's aftermath is also going to touch on suicide. If you or anyone you know is in need of help, please contact the National Suicide Lifeline. It's free, and it's confidential. You can visit 988lifeline.org or call 988. You are not alone. This episode also includes depictions of child abuse. If you, or anyone you know, are in need of help, please contact the National Child Abuse Hotline. That's 1-800-4-A-CHILD. Or visit childhelp.org. Oh, man, I am here. I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat this week, so my voice probably sounds a little bit different. So if it cracks or squeaks, I apologize. Just know that I'm not going through second puberty, or early-onset male menopause. (laughs) Clearly, I have no idea how the human body works. Okay, now it's time to get serious. Some stuff happened this week on Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. And that's an understatement. How does all of this compare with Dante's views on the afterlife? Well, I guess there's no better time to find out than right now. In Canto 18 of Dante's Inferno, the poets arrive in Malibulge. This is the Eighth Circle, and is a vast and truly significant portion of the Inferno. So important that Dante spends 13 cantos on it. The term Malabulge pretty much translates to evil ditches, though sometimes it's translated to evil pockets or pouches. It consists of ten rings. Of course, each ring smaller and more punishing than the last. In Canto 18, we traverse the first two rings, the panderers and seducers being the first and the Flatterers being the second. In the first ring, the Panderers are walking in one direction, while the Seducers are walking the opposite direction. A group of demons whips and beats them, forcing them to keep moving. Of the Panderers, Dante identifies Venedico Cachanamico. I know, I know, I know. I probably... Really butchered the pronunciation of that. But, you know, as usual, kind of just got to put up with it. And I appreciate that you put up with it. So, anyways, not my cousin Venny. <laughs> Get it, Venny? is Venedi. Okay. Anyways, he admits his crimes of giving his sister to Marquis Obizzo de Esta of Ferrara. Again, I'm sorry. As you might imagine, this wasn't simply giving her to Venedico because the guy needed a Scrabble partner. One of the demons whips the sinner and calls him a pimp. Of the Seducers, Dante notes Jason. Yep, that Jason. Not Voorhees, the other Jason. The the one that traveled around with the uh, Argonauts. You know, the mythical figure known to seduce women, impregnate said women, and then abandon them. I'm not going to get much more into detail because it's a bunch of names I can hardly pronounce. And frankly, Greek mythology, while entertaining and endlessly fascinating, is kind of a big tangled and gory soap opera. And I really just don't feel like untangling it at this very moment. The poets cross a large bridge that takes them into Ring 2, where we see the flatterers. These sinners are wallowing in filth and excrement. The reason for this is because their filthy words and lies, their false flattery, were as useless as the waste they are banished to. In more crudely phrased modern terms, they were full of shit, and so, in they wallow. Dante points out Thais. Again, names, you get the idea. Anyways, Thais, or Tais or Thais, we're going to stick with Thais. She was overzealous in her flattery to her lover, and her lies were blatant and obvious. There's differing variations out there on the story of Thais, but the general overtone of her story is that she was just A big fat liar, when it came to flattery. In Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, we get into some pretty deep stuff. Devastating stuff. When I was recording Dark Days, there were several times that I expressed the uncertainty of bringing Darker Days to the podcast. There are moments in this story that I thought might break Anchor or Spotify rules. Uh, every time I sign into Anchor, they ask me if I've checked over the rules. And for the purposes of this conversation, yes. Yes, I have. Anyway, there were three moments in particular that I just didn't want to record. The first being the Man with the Spring Heels chapter which I ultimately rewrote for the podcast, and also for the better. The next one would be the conception chapter, which is pretty much the same in the podcast as it is in written form. And then there's this, the sad story of Amelia Driscoll. I know, we've witnessed a lot of other bad things. Horrific child abuse, orgies of filth, murders, and such. But when it comes to the sexual assault and the suicide of a child, it's, well, it's difficult, to say the very least. It's not fun to listen to. It's not fun to record, and it certainly wasn't fun to write. And yes, there's going to be bad things coming in the future. Very bad things. But the three chapters I just mentioned, especially this one, they're the ones that... They're just the ones that are... more difficult for me. So anyway, moving on. The sad story of Amelia Driscoll is the tale of panderers and seducers, Brian Stoltz being the seducer, the victimizer, the abuser. His attack on Dorothy is blunt and uncomfortable. The description of his actions as an outsider are disturbing. The descriptions, according to Dorothy his slimy, slug-like tongue is even more disturbing. I didn't want this chapter to feel exploitative, but I wanted to make sure it, it felt visceral and gross. In The Inferno, Dante tells the story of a man who gave his sister up to another to use as a sexual object. In Darker Days... Dorothy is tasked with giving up her best friend to a man with detestable desires. I don't want to make Dorothy out to be a villain. She's not malicious. At least, not in the same sense as a pimp. And she's not a sex trafficker. She's a child. She's a child. And she's afraid. And she's just trying to survive. That's not to say what she did was okay, because it's not. And this transgression will haunt her for a very long time, if not the rest of her natural-born life. We know now that Brian Stoltz is the man on the river's edge, and that the girl in the dark wood of suicide was Amelia Driscoll. The story of Amelia, Dorothy, and Brian doesn't end here, but I promise, the next time we see these characters, it won't be like this. I've mentioned before that Dante enjoys placing people he knows, or at the very least, people of his time, in the Inferno, and probably Purgatory and Paradise, but I've never read those and that's obviously not what I'm talking about. Anyway, much like Dante, I too like to put people I know, have known, or people of infamy into my world. I've mentioned Bill Johnson more than a few times, and I'm done talking about him for now. Jack the Ripper shows up, Joseph Smith makes an appearance, and there's more on the way. So here we meet Brian Stoltz. The name is derived from a guy I once knew. Not his real name, mind you. I'm not trying to get in trouble. His appearance is based on a different guy that I once knew. I couldn't use douchebag number one's real name and real appearance because that would be slanderous. And same goes for douchebag number two. I'm also not saying that either one of them were child molesters or predators. I'm not one to make baseless claims like that. I'm not Elon Musk. Though I did once hear douchebag number two tell a young pregnant woman who was not his wife or significant other that he would happily give her baby a cowlick right then and there. So, you know, morals be damned. That one might not be quite so far-fetched. Anyway, I digress. We never hear exactly what Brian Stoltz tells Dorothy to do. I think the implication is more than clear, especially by the end of the chapter. We also never hear exactly what Dorothy says to Amelia. We never hear if she has to talk Amelia into doing anything, or if Amelia simply agrees because of her sisterly love and affection toward Dorothy. Either way, we know Amelia went through with whatever was asked of her. And the results were nothing less than devastating. We also never actually hear or find out what Brian subjected this poor girl to. This was as far as I could go i could not i I couldn't bring myself I just couldn't bring myself to write anything worse for this chapter and just so you know I never write what actually happened to Amelia Driscoll. So you can rest at ease knowing that I'm not going to get into really gross details like that. Moving on to chapter 32, The False Flattery of Tipitarius, we see a different kind of abuse. This one is difficult, but I don't think I would say it's worse than anything we've read in his chapters before though your opinion might differ from my own. His actions here are relatively innocuous and overall juvenile. He's not ritually sacrificing anything. He's not raping anyone. He's not torturing anything. Instead, he's smearing mud on the wall. I never make it clear why Momby is so enraged by this. I'm not sure Mombi really needs a reason to be enraged. She does express a deep-seated hatred for the lies he tells, though. In her eyes, his lies are obvious. If he was trying to paint a beautiful portrait of her, he wouldn't use mud. She throws him out and presses his face into a muddy puddle, telling him his lies mean nothing and his false flattery will get him nowhere. In the sad story of Amelia Driscoll, I forgo the imagery of the Inferno in favor of defining the sin and sins. In the false flattery of Tipitarius, I keep more of the imagery in the mud, though not excrement, and a little more of the symbolism. And ultimately, I feel confident that I did the Inferno justice with these two chapters. If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, or goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is always a possibility, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like this show. I don't know why you're listening if you don't, but like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. You can contact me at dark days of Dorothy Gale and Outlook.com. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok, where it's at dark Dorothy G. Alternately, you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, where it's at the ordinary sun. That's S U N. And of course, if social media isn't quite your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website, DD of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and even in paperback form. But at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct and financial way, You can find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinary son. Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I will send you a handwritten thank you note, complete with a sketch related to the story. And if you like, I would even give you a shout-out on this wildly obscure show. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that's perfectly fine. I understand. Honestly, I'm happy to do this either way. So come back next time. For chapter 33. Simon Magus. Thanks for listening. I love you all.